This morning, we are continuing in the book of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, um, verses 1 through 29. So um, I'm going to read those verses to you, but I am going to invite you all to just stand. Um, we're going to be here for two weeks. So what we are, are trying to do, one of our commitments um, as, in having our kids with us is that we want to be mindful of everyone and be respectful of, of the, the patience and the tolerance level of every person here, from the youngest to the oldest. So we will keep our sermons short. So that means that on first Sundays, I'm going to sort of introduce this and talk about a part of it, and then Pastor David will pick this up next week. Um, So this morning, we will focus on verses 1 through 13. We'll read the whole passage. Um, But then next week, Pastor David will pick up with the the rest of the chapter. So beginning with verse 1, it reads, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense in him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard all about this, for Jesus' name had become well-known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah, and so others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead? For Herod himself had given the order to have John arrested. And he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, for John had been saying to Herod, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and and protected him, knowing him to be righteous and holy. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? 
the head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king, king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head to the man. To, excuse me, with, an, with orders to bring John's head. The man went and beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing, on, on hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of God. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So the, the title of my message this morning is When the Going Gets Tough. And the consistent theme throughout this passage um, is that God's people, those, those people called to go, um, when they are doing that, sometimes they experience that going as being a little bit difficult. What we see in each movement in this passage, each movement in this text, is that people are going out into spaces and places that they are supposed to be, and they are being met or or being cautioned that they may meet some sort of difficulty, some sort of persecution. The text begins with Jesus, and it says he's, he's going to his hometown. And so, you know, this, the, it's the day of Sabbath. He goes up into a synagogue, and he does what he's been doing. Like, this is something that we have seen him do before at this point. He goes into the synagogues on the day of Sabbath, and he begins to teach. Now, this synagogue was probably one he grew up in. This was his home. These were the folk who had seen him when he was just a little boy. They knew him. And so when he stands up and he begins to, to do exactly what he'd been doing, he starts to explain the scriptures and he starts to, to speak in ways that people had not heard. He gets met with a kind of similar reaction. That The text says that the people were amazed. But they were amazed for a different reason. In the past, people were amazed because, wow, look at how wise he is. This, this must be someone important. This must be someone special. These people were amazed because they're like, uh-uh, isn't that Mary's boy? It, isn't, that, isn't that the carpenter? Who, what, what is he doing? They were amazed for a very, very different reason. And so they begin to murmur, and they begin to ask questions. How is he doing what he's doing? Who is he? Who does he think he is? And so the text tells him, the text tells us that even though these were the people who probably knew him best, as one uh, theologian says, they knew him as Jesus. They weren't ready for him as the Messiah. In the next movement, we see Jesus telling his disciples to go out two by two. Uh, he tells them to go and to take absolutely nothing with them for the journey but a staff and some sandals. And he gives them some very specific instructions. He says, when you go into a town, you, you, you enter a house. If someone welcomes you and you're allowed to stay there, that's where you stay. In other words, you're not house hopping, right? You're not, this isn't couch surfing time. When someone welcomes you, that's where you stay for the whole time that you're in that town. And go and you do the things that I've called you to do. If a town doesn't welcome you, if you can't find anyone who will receive you, then you leave. And as you leave, you shake the dust off of your sandals. So we're going to go and look at these things a little bit more closely. Now, I, I think that it's very interesting that we start with Jesus. Um, that we start with Jesus in his hometown. 
being rejected in probably one of the most um, intimate and, and hurtful ways that a person can be rejected. See, you have to remember, in order to grab the weight of this, you have to remember what came first. If you recall from a couple weeks ago, Jesus was just somewhere else. He was near the Sea of Galilee, that sea that, that Pastor David was just in a boat talking to us from. He was near the Sea of Galilee, and he had just left someone's house. A little girl died, and he raised this child from the dead. People were amazed. He was performing amazing miracles. See, outside of the, re- the religious elite up to this point, everyone else who encounters Jesus is just is floored. People are tearing roofs off of houses. The woman, if you recall, pushed through a crowd of people just to touch and be touched by Jesus. People are amazed by him. People want to be close to him. They're like, this man is awesome. I, I want to get close to him. I want him to heal me. I want him, I want to hear what he has to say. And now we find him at home in Nazareth. And it's a very different reception. The text tells us that he couldn't perform any miracles except but to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Some people will, will argue that this is because Jesus, you know, his power was, was restrained by our unbelief. I don't believe that. I don't think you and I can, there's nothing we can do to, to limit the power of God. But let's think about what does happen. In other places, people were clamoring to get to Jesus. No one was checking for Jesus today. No one was trying to come to him and say, heal me. No one was bringing their, their sick. No one was bringing their issues. No one was seeking him out in the crowd. It wasn't that Jesus' power had been somehow bound up. It wasn't somehow that his power was limited because they didn't have faith. They didn't have faith, and so they were not coming. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't need him to perform a miracle. They didn't believe that he could do these things. They knew him as Jesus as Mary's boy. They knew him as that knucklehead kid who ran around when he was three, four, five. They knew him as that person, the carpenter, Joseph's son. They weren't ready for him to be the Messiah. Jesus had fully come into exactly who he was supposed to be. He was walking in the full authority that God the Father had given him. And yet he was rejected by the people who knew him best because they could not let go of who they thought he was. There's a song uh, that I love by Nina Simone. Um, It's called, I Told Jesus. And uh, so the song begins with the lyric, I told Jesus, be all right if he changed my name. And now the idea of that, right, this idea of Jesus changing your name, it comes directly from that that, that tradition of christening a child. And when you got christened, when you were baptized, you, you, you got a new name. That's what a christening was. You got your Christian name. And so Nina is saying, you know, I told Jesus it'd be all right if you change my name. If you give me a new identity, I'm ready to be someone new. I'm ready to follow you. And as the lyrics continue, it said, Jesus responds and says, you know, well, the people in your life won't know you if I change your name. Your mother won't know you. Your father won't know you. Your, your friends, those people, they won't know you if I change your name. And now she ultimately concludes at the end again, it'd be all right. It'd be all right if you change my name. 
Some of you all may be able to relate to that kind of rejection, the kind of rejection that Jesus encounters in Nazareth. You may be able to relate to that on a very personal level. I I would dare to say that all of us, even if you haven't experienced, you know, rejection by your parents or someone deeply close to you, we've probably all experienced that, that sort of I'm new now and the people who know me best can't accept who I am. Though that space in your life where you feel like you are most yourself when you are around people who have only known you for a few months, maybe a few years. But when you go back home, when you sit at the tables with the people who, who raise you, who help you become who you are, right? It's hard. It's challenging. Fear of rejection, that fear of having people say, no, mm-mm. No, I don't, res- I, I don't accept who you are. I don't see you. I refuse to see who you are, what God is doing. I don't see you as a new creation. I know you by your old name. That is a fear that paralyzes many of us. On some level, that fear of rejection paralyzes all of us. It's why a lot of us keep our mouths shut day after day and refuse to be who God has called us to be. It's why we won't talk about Jesus. It's why we won't be the light because we're afraid. We don't want to be rejected. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. We don't want someone to look at us and say, I don't see you that way, and I won't see you that way. And see, this fear of rejection is something we learn from early on. It's something that the kids among us have already started to learn. It's that thing that nudges up, you know, when you're sitting in class and you're excited about the new thing you're learning, but it would not be so great to show that you're excited, so you pretend that you're not, right? It's that thing that comes up. Maybe you're in your classrooms, and you see some kid being teased, and you want to stand up for them. But, well, if I do that, will, will they tease me too? Will I be rejected? For others, for, for those of us who are grown, we still walk around feeling that, right? We sit in our jobs. We interact with people. We don't want to be labeled as those type, types of Christians, right? We don't want to be seen as the ones who are, you know, fanatics, or radical, so we don't say anything. They're folks who've known you for a long time and would be surprised if they found out you went to church every Sunday. And we think we're being, you know, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I'm d- no, you are. <laughs> you are. We're afraid. We're afraid to open our mouths. It's why some of us, when we think about the word evangelism, like get clammy, and it's why the church has moved to a model of relational evangelism, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing, and we should all do it. You should be spreading Jesus in every kind of way. But sometimes you, you, God might call you to say something to someone who you don't know. Sometimes God might actually send you out to knock door to door. You know, you never know how the Lord desires to move, but it's that fear, fear of rejection. It's painful. It's hurtful. It makes you nervous. We don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. And so we don't move. We don't speak. I'm willing to bet that everybody in here has an uncle so-and-so who every time you all are together goes on a rant about those people. And I'm not just talking to the white people in here. All of us have an uncle so-and-so, an auntie so-and-so, a cousin so-and-so, all of us have someone who at some point in time is going to find a moment to go off about whoever those people may be, whatever derogatory term you can, whatever it is for them, those people who are not like us. 
How many times have you been in those sorts of situations and not said a single solitary word? Because after all, uncle so-and-so might be sexist, racist, xenophobic, homophobic. He might be all of those things, but he's still uncle so-and-so when I love him. It's hard. It's difficult. Jesus couldn't perform any miracles in Nazareth because the people who knew him best rejected him. But this is what Jesus did not do. He did not pick up a hammer and start making furniture. He was new. He was different. He wasn't that carpenter anymore. You may be called to go into spaces that are difficult. It may be hard to speak when someone is saying something that you know is wrong. You may actually face rejection. But what you don't get to do is decide, well, I'll just be who they think I am. I'll just act the way they're used to me acting. I'll be a little different. I won't participate in the conversation maybe this time. I'm not going to do the bad thing, but I'm not going to say a single word against it, right? That's not what we get to do as people of faith. You do not pick up a hammer and start making furniture. All of us who love Jesus have been called to go and to speak And sometimes the places that we go and to speak are to those people who know us best, who knew us when, who will not be able to see us for who we are. And yet we still have to go and speak. So the next time that we see Jesus in this passage, he's gathering his disciples and he's um, giving them instructions about what to do as they go out to do ministry. Um, And what we see here in terms of the instructions that he gives his disciples, I think directly relates to what has come before in some very important ways. So we start this passage with Jesus being rejected. We know rejection is something that we will face. And I think as we move forward in this next space in this passage, we see what we need to do, how we should handle that rejection. So let me explain. Jesus tells them to go out and take nothing. No money, no food, not even a change of clothes, nothing. They get to take some sandals, which, like, yeah, and a staff, a walking stick. And not even a staff, a walking stick. So, like, this isn't even a good weapon. Like, just, that's it. Like, you, nothing. So, so this is what you have to understand in order to really, really, like, get this. He's not sending them out. It's not like go out for the day and do ministry and then come on back for dinner. You might miss lunch but come on back. Like, no, they're going to go just like he had been going village to village, town to town. They are going to be traveling. They're going to be walking and traveling for days, for days. And he says, go out with less than what you and I go out to run to the grocery store with, right? Like my kids, when they leave, they grab a toy to go on a job. I mean, something, right? We don't, you don't just walk out of your house with shoes on your feet. We don't do that. And he says, go and take absolutely nothing. Why? (laughs) Why? So the other instruction that he gives them, I think, again, when you get to places and someone welcomes you, that's great. Stay there. If you go to a town and no one welcomes you, if no one listens to you, if they don't want to, they're not here for it, leave and shake the dust off your sandals. Now, he tells them, like when, when you go to a town and they don't accept you. So we know that these people are going out now with absolutely nothing and not even a guarantee that everywhere they go, they'll be received well. 
There are going to be places, there may very well be places that they go and they are not welcomed. No one says, come stay with me. I'll let you eat and sleep here. Right? They are just going and they have to trust. They have to trust. So, so, so what is the, the, the connection? The first place I want to start is this shaking the dust off because I think that the shaking the dust off and the go with nothing they, are, they teach us the same thing. It was a Jewish tradition. When you were, if you had been traveling, you know, away from the homeland, when you got back, you shook the dust off your sandals. And the reason you did that was because the idea was you've been going through these pagan towns and that, those places were unclean. And so now you've come back to the Holy Land. So you shake that dust off your shoes as you enter the Holy Land, Right. So Jesus is telling the disciples, that's how you need to treat the places that don't receive you. The places that they were going were places that would have been Jewish communities. So hold that in your mind. They're not going into pagan lands. At this point, Jesus, remember, his ministry was three parts. First to the Jews, then he said to Samaria, and then beyond. We're still with the Jews at this point in the ministry. And yet he tells them to shake the dust off their sandals. Anyone who would have seen the disciples do this. So let's say you're in that town and you've seen these men run around for a couple days and trying to get people to listen to them about this man and that they need to repent and they need to do this and they're going to cast out demons. And you're like, whatever. They, you didn't welcome them. And you catch out of the corner of your eye one day when they're leaving and you see them dusting off their sandals. You know what that means. You know what that is you that's not something that would be strange to you it it, you get it but you would be confused like what we're not what it's easy to look at that shake the dust off your sandals as a testimony against them and it's easy to see it as sort of an ominous warning right like they didn't receive you and now they're rejected shake the dust off your sandals but that's that's not what's happening the jewish community was never god's People, God's chosen ones, it has never been an exclusive club. Even during the Old Testament times, people who were pagan could convert to Judaism. Many people would not want to go that route. It involved circumcision when people were grown. But you could convert to Judaism. It was never a thing like, you know, this is it. This is a tight and closed community. So even when people were shaking the dust off their feet then, it wasn't that these are a rejected people. It was just that this is, these, this is a place that was unclean. So what the disciples are saying is these are not a rejected people, but this is a place that was unclean. How, how is this related to take nothing? Jesus tells them to go and rely on the provision of God through the hospitality of others. This is not the wilderness. There's not going to be a pillar of cloud by day. There's not going to be a pillar of fire by night. There's not going to be manna. If they are going to have food, clothing, and shelter, it's going to come from the hospitality of the people in these towns. They have to trust and rely on God's provision and God's provision through the people he's sending them to minister to, through the people he's sending them to serve. They have to rely, they have to believe that if Jesus is telling them to go, they'll be all right. When they're shaking the dust off of their sandals, they have to believe that if Jesus is telling them to leave, those people will be all right. This is a reminder to us of two things. 
lots of times we don't want to go because we don't want to be rejected, because we don't trust that God will provide for us, that we don't believe that God will take care of us. We think we have to do it all on our own. We think maybe it's hopeless. When God calls us to go, the only thing we have to do is go. When God calls us to speak, the only thing we have to do is speak. They were going and they were given authority to cast out demons. They had been given authority by Jesus. They were going and they were going to tell people to repent. They weren't going to be able to make anybody repent. Jesus sent them because he knew that the harvest was already plentiful. He knew that hearts were already softened because the God who's responsible for doing that had already done it. When God sends you into a situation, when God sends you or calls you into a circumstance, we don't always know what it's going to mean for us, what it'll look like for us, how it'll feel, how the people will react. That's not our business. That's not our place. (laughs) We got to stay in our lane. And our lane is to be obedient to what God says. And this goes from, for all of us, from the youngest to the oldest. If you are sitting in a classroom and you feel like God is calling you to be kind, to show kindness to a child who maybe isn't being shown kindness, other kids might not be your friend. That might actually be the result. You may be rejected, but that's okay because God will take care of you. If we're sitting in our boardrooms, if we're sitting in our, on our college campuses, wherever we may be, whatever we've called to be, Whatever we've been called to say, when you feel, and let me, I want to demystify something. When I say called to speak, right, what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean something like, like you may not hear the voice of the Lord say, speak now, right? It may, you may, but you may not experience that. There's some things that we know that we know that we know, right? You, you read, we read the Bible. We immerse ourselves in the text of God. And so when you are in spaces, when something doesn't look right and you feel on the inside like I should probably say something, often that's the Holy Spirit. And when we sit there and decide, nope. <laughs> Those times when you're sitting somewhere and you feel like I, should, I, should, I feel like I should go here. Has anybody ever felt that? You just kind of feel for some random, I feel like I should maybe, sometimes that's the Holy Spirit. And some of us have gotten so used to saying no, because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We've gotten so used to saying, to just shutting that out, to closing those feelings off that we don't, we don't recognize it anymore. God doesn't necessarily always move in huge, spooky, big ways. Sometimes it's really subtle. It's a still small voice. It's a nudging on the inside. It's a, I think I, maybe I, that doesn't look. Some of us have gotten so accustomed to just going along, to just doing this Christian, I'll come to church on Sundays, and if somebody asks me about Jesus, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them. But if they don't ask, I will not speak. We've gotten so used to it that we've forgotten what that feeling feels like. Jesus knew exactly what he was sending the disciples out to face. They didn't. He did. Just like then, Jesus knows exactly where he is sending us. He knows exactly what we will face. We don't. He does. So all we have to do is just be obedient. And here's the good news. Because the good news is not... When I say God will take care of you, that doesn't mean it's going to be all right. It's going to work out exactly the way you want it to. When you go, 
I promise you, people are just going to be slayed in the spirit. As soon as you say Jesus, they're just like, hallelujah. I don't know. Like that, is, that may very well not happen. You will be okay doesn't mean it will happen. It will work out the way you would like it to work out best. This story ends with John, with a, a, a flashback to John the Baptist being arrested first and then beheaded. It may not end the way you want it to end, but the Bible tells us that to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? It will be okay because because of the sacrifice of Jesus, even the sting of death has lost its power. It'll be okay because the one who we fear is the one who has the power to convict our soul, not the people who can do something to our bodies. It'll be okay because God is sovereign and God is good and God is in control. And when we are obedient, even if our obedience led us to a place of death. And for some people today, right now in our world, there are Christians today for whom being Christian has led to torture and to death. It may happen, but they are okay. Um, something my, uh, my daughter says occasionally, and it just it blesses me and it shocks me every time she says it, um, when, if, whenever death comes up. Like, I, you know, it's... With kids, sometimes we're afraid to talk to you guys about death because we want to, like, make sure your world stays happy. And the first time the goldfish dies, it's like, oh, okay, what do I do? What do I do? You know, like, right? Because we, we bought into the myth that that's something that we ought to fear, right? We have believed the lie of the enemy, that that's the ultimate thing that you should, oh, my gosh, no, death is just the worst. And so um, Hadassah will say to me occasionally, like, when we die, we get to go see Jesus. And she's so happy about it. I'm like... I mean, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want you dying now. I don't want any of us leaving the earth right now. But, but, but if we believe, like children believe, that the sting of death lost its power, that it lost its sting because Jesus died on a cross for us, even if the thing God is calling you to will result in your death, that's okay. You will be all right because death has been defeated. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Now, I know that that's hard for some of us to accept. It just is. It's true, but it's hard to accept. So this is my prayer. My prayer is that we would actually believe the truth of God. And part of the way that we believe that is through prayer, through study. Another way that we believe it, I think, is through doing it. When you are obedient, when you go out, when you step out on faith, when you speak, when you feel like you should speak, where you go, when you're supposed to go, all of those things build your faith and your trust in God. Every time we do that, we are saying, I believe who God is. I believe that the devil is a lie. Every time you are obedient, you are rejecting Satan and you are, you are accepting the truth of the living God. That's all we have to do in this world is to obey. You may not get to live in the city you want to live in. You may not get to have the job you want to have. You will likely not be comfortable. We haven't been promised comfort, but we will absolutely be okay. So I'm going to to conclude. We're going to have our uh, communion today, and I'm going to invite Romelia to come on up and the the worship team to come up. Um, And this is my prayer as we take our communion. I think too often, too often our faith is something that remains theoretical. 
And for a lot of us, that's because if we look at our lives, we are comfortable, right? And many of us who are doing the things that, God, like you're sitting there like, well, I, I'm doing what God has called me to do. And I, I do speak. And maybe you, you haven't experienced um, the kind of rejection that Jesus experienced. You haven't experienced certainly what John the Baptist experienced. You haven't experienced what the disciples, you've not ever had to, to experience the uncertainty and the, the, the level of discomfort that the disciples are called to go and put themselves in. And so sometimes we, we, we hear these things and it's, it feels theoretical to us. So this is what I want to say to those of you who may be saying, I feel like I am doing what God called me to do, but I, I, but I also feel, um, I don't feel uncomfortable necessarily. So two things. One, perhaps, and maybe, maybe it means that you, you may not be in the space that you need to be in. And so there might be a space for prayer. But there's another side to that too. Um, I want to make sure that people understand that experiencing joy in the place that God has called you is not the same as not experiencing discomfort. So I remember hearing people um, talk about like the cost of following Jesus. And I remember when I first got saved and I would hear people talk about this and I'm like, I don't know if, I, if I've had a cause. Like, I don't feel that way. I don't, I don't feel like, oh, my gosh, this is hard. I don't feel like, oh, my, this Christian life is just, I've never, I've never felt that. I feel, but when I can, I can look at my life and I can say, no, I've definitely experienced some rejection because I, I love Jesus. I've definitely had spaces in my life that were hard or that were difficult. I, it didn't feel like a burden. It didn't feel like a weight. If that's you, if, you are, or if you're sitting here and you're like, I, I do believe I'm doing what God has called me to do, but I don't, I don't feel that discomfort. I am excited. I'm eager to go when God says go. Don't mistake the joy of the Lord. That is our strength. Don't mistake that joy for dis, not, not experiencing discomfort. Maybe that is you just, God has given you that joy and that's a blessing. It doesn't mean that the thing that you're doing isn't hard. If you are willing to go when God says go and it doesn't feel hard to you and it doesn't feel uncomfortable, praise God. That's joy. But if you know that there are moments in your life where you feel that still, that still small voice, if you know there are times when you are just like, I should, but I shouldn't. If you constantly find yourself saying, oh gosh, please God, don't, don't, don't have me do that. Oh, I don't want it. Right? If that's you. If that's you, and every other part of your life is comfortable, then it is my prayer that you will lay that at the feet of Jesus. Because that means every moment that you do it, every time you are silent, every time you you shut it down, you are rejecting the truth of God, and you are choosing to believe a lie. And that is not what we've been called to. The good news is that through Christ, we have been made free. Through Christ, we have been made free. Through Christ, we have been made free.